Even though the general topic of our share is going through the morale, trying to understand what he says about friendship, as an aside, he deals with the other major components that the Torah deals with. And what we were exploring last time was the Machlekes in the Medrash, which is brought in the introduction to Ayn Yaakov, and brings three opinions which offer different major groupings for the mitzvahs in the Torah, meaning a group is the members of the group share sh- a common property and the name of the group is a category which has that common property as its defining point. People who are called South Africans all have that part of their, their ancestry is from a place in the world known as South Africa. They have that property and therefore that makes it part of a particular group. The mitzvahs also have properties and as a result they form part of the group. The, what we were exploring is that the three opinions in, in, in the in the Medrash, Ben Zoyma, Ben Nanas, and Shimon Ben Pazi, each offer a different primary description of the group which you could categorize mitzvahs underneath. Meaning, what is the common property that all mitzvahs share? Which is it? What, do, what, what, what when you do mitzvah? So we saw previously that Rabbi Kivan Ben Azar argued about after and. Zeisayfer told us Adam. Now we have two new opinions introduced. Namely, Ben Zayma who says Shema Israel, and the last opinion, Shimon Ben Pazi, that says that from the Korban Hatomi, the, the daily offering. We went and we started to discuss what does Ben Zayma mean when it says Shema Israel is the Klal Gadol The Maral points out the, the actual verse itself, not the three paragraphs that we say, but in the verse of Shema Israel, one encapsulates the purpose of the Torah, the, the major ingredient that becomes the common property of all mitzvahs. What is that common property? So the Maharal explains two dimensions to this common property. And he says as follows, he states unequivocally that the goal of Torah is to develop a connection to the spiritual world, namely to the Creator Himself. And the goal is realized when that connection becomes absolute, which he calls, what we call Dvekus, he calls Dibuk, a cleaving to. The goal of the Torah is to feel that we are connected on the most profound level to the world beyond our own world, which is called the world of the divine, the world of the Abishta. Now, when that happens on a daily basis, that we reach that state of sublime connection, is in the Pasuk of Shema specifically in that last word of Echad. In the last word of Echad, when we declare the oneness of Hashem, what we're essentially doing is, we're acknowledging that the multiplicity and the diversity that's presented to us in our natural world, even though the appearance is of a series of divided, disparate entities going in conflict with one another, there's a unifying force which is the foundation of all and every diversity is essentially linked in a global picture of unity and the unity transcends the mere physical universe and extends to everything that's ever been created until they all stem from a single source when a person dwells on this idea to the degree that he can declare the word echad and feel that in the context of this larger universe where everything stems from the source of the Creator Himself and He generates it and makes it come into being on a moment-by-moment basis, so then one's own existence 
essentially becomes subsumed and incorporated into that divine energy. That's called absolute connection. And that point is realized when a person verbalizes, articulates Echad, one. Shema Yisrael Hashem Eloikeinu Hashem Echad At the point of Echad, so that deep, deep, deep connection is realized. If so, says the Maral, what is the role of the mitzvahs? He gives it a two-dimensional discussion or approach. The one is, the mitzvahs are what he calls a parish, an explanation of how that connection is reached. And the second, he says, they are hachana, a preparation. They are a parish and a preparation. I'd like to briefly delve into those two different aspects of what mitzvahs are. So a parish is an explanation. The reason why explanations are required is when a text in its own right is unclear. It doesn't have the details, perhaps it's ambiguities, perhaps it's deletions. You can't get from the text itself exactly what the references are. An explanation comes and clarifies what's going on. It fills in the details until you can get on a very real level what's going on. So, says the Maral, mitzvahs are an explanation of the ethereal idea of what is Dvekus. What is Dvekus? How do I connect? How do I cleave? How do I become one? So, one of the ways, let's say, is Dech Tfilin, for an example, as one mitzvah. Dech Tfilin, that's a way of connecting because I can, through a serious contemplation and the act of actually binding, binding, connecting on a physical level, in the field of action, namely my hand, and in the field of thought, namely my mind, my head, I can place on those a inscribed principle of how the world operates, which is the parashiot, the paragraphs contained within the boxes of its filling. Until I'm declaring through that act that connected to my arm, corresponding to my soul. So the fields of action, hands, emotion, heart, and intellect, head, are all suffused, are all synergized in the connection to the divine. Tefillin is an explanation of Dvekus, and it's also a preparation for Dvekus. It conditions me for that moment, the climactic moment of my day, which is Shema Yisrael. So now, this is a very, I'm, I'm finding this a very, very difficult. Because the truth is, and this is a general, a general theme in Judaism, if you think about the amount of time it takes to say Shema, and the amount of time that prayer, call it a prayer, it's not a prayer, that meditation lasts in the span of a 24-hour day. So the, the two psukim of Shema in total probably add up to less than a minute, or maybe a minute. And we're saying that the thrust of our voida, of our spiritual um, development, the crescendo occurs in these two less than a minute it, it, seems, it seems difficult because in order for us to have a weighty experience, we seem, to invented, we seem to invest weighty experiences, they have to contain a certain volume of time. And because I'll go on to say that the more desensitized a person is, the greater the impact of the event has to be in order to him, for him to feel the impression. So, for example, if I would like to feel an impression of, of, um, of an emotion of empathy. So, if I say to you a very short line, um, you know, uh, unfortunately, um, there was a small boy that passed away from leukemia. Your reaction will be, oh. 
But if I dramatize it and I discuss the small boy who na- whose name happens to be David, David was born after his parents were married for 10 years. This was a child that they were waiting for. He's born and you can just imagine the excitement when his mother became pregnant and then eventually gives birth, birth to a healthy normal child and the excitement is which surrounded the breasts and accompanied them through the entire first year where they literally wait on everything this child did and then slowly but surely he moved from just a crying sobbing child to a smiling baby you get that first recognition that he could communicate to the outside world through his smile and he had a beautiful smile big these deep blue eyes this auburn hair but cute cute like the, the, one of those baby bodies that look like little Michelin men you know they're like they, they're podgy and, and they, 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 their torso is huge and their hands can't reach above their heads because they've these tiny limbs with this massive torso and he's a roving cuddly beautiful child that he learns to crawl when he's 11 months old by the time he's 14 months he's standing holding on and making tentative steps and his first words are Funnily enough, mommy and daddy, and then he learns the word ambulance, and he says it in such a cute fashion that you can't believe such a strange word to learn. And then he grows up, and he reaches two, and his hair is starting to grow long, and his mother just has so much joy of dressing in the morning. And, and then what happens is they notice that he starts to, he just seems a little bit weaker. When he wakes up in the morning, he didn't, doesn't have that same sparkle in his eye that he usually does, and they're a little bit concerned. He seems to sleep for hours during the day which he never used to do so they take him for a checkup and they take him to the doctor and the doctor examines the child and the mother picks up immediately a look of concern in his face and she her heart drops she says doctor what's wrong he says no it's probably nothing I just just for carriage that we're going to send him to a, for a battery of blood tests and I'm sure it's nothing it will probably do some type of virus or pass and they send, they send the blood test away and they get the results and she goes to the doctor to receive the results and he says, look, I'd really like your husband to be out as well. So, so she says, what's wrong? What's wrong? What's wrong? He says, no, I, I don't think it's anything serious, but please, will your husband please come to the appointment? He comes and she says, look, you know, I don't want to shock you and you know the, the, the prognosis isn't that crap. She says, what's wrong, doctor? What's wrong? So we have found that your child is suffering from a form of leukemia. And when the mother hears those words, she just breaks into tears. She can't control. And the husband tries to control himself. They can't believe that the little David, the little David. So they say, listen, he's going to have to go for chemo. So they they have to like arrange an appointment in the hospital. And they, they the child has become quite listless. They can't even engage him. They try to make occasionally a smile, and it will break their parents his parents' hearts if he smiles. They take him in for treatment and they take him to the hospital, but the chemo treatment is brutal. It makes him vomit, makes him nauseous, he starts to lose his hair, and the parents are sitting there from outside watching, and every time he goes through this, it rips their heart out, it rips their heart out. And the process goes on and goes on, and they see their child literally disappearing in front of their eyes. He's getting thin, he's becoming jaw, he's drawn, he's, 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 he's cheeks start to sink into his face because his cheekbones pronounced and they look at their child and even looking at him is painful but they're hoping they're hoping for the best and they're pouring out their fillers and they're waiting and they're hoping and they're waiting and, and then they hear that there's a, there could be a possibility of a new kind of medication which could be and they try it and it fails 
and they see the child decline until one day he's in for a routine procedure in the hospital and the mother receives a call on the cell phone asking her to come to the hospital immediately she calls up her husband they run to the hospital and they're not in time to see their child who's just dying different feeling no? as opposed to child dies of leukemia because there's a background there's a build up so for us, whenever you want to become emotionally involved, uh, by the way, don't worry, dog is fine. <laughs> it's just an imaginary child. He's fine. He's fine. No, no. People have got shyness and they want to know. They want to give money to his parents. No, it's okay. <laughs> um, I'm illustrating the fact that when you, have a, when you have a context, when you build something up, so then it has an impact. But when something is just thrown at you, it just comes as, as a one-off. So you don't have the the receptacle, the, the, the receivers that can pick up the signal that's contained within a bite-sized piece of... So Shema is one line, and we say really it's one word. So how does it impact us? And so th- that's really the thrust of all the methods. So what, I, what I'm suggesting is that it seems to be the way the Maral presents it, is that it's a total focus of how we're trying to construct our day and our, 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 our way we, we work we work spiritually. People, because Judaism is such an incredibly flexible religion, it has this elasticity to it that it, that it can, that it can, it can tra- traverse time and space almost effortlessly. There's a sense that a person can retain it's almost as a sense that person doesn't have to be spiritually in touch to be totally, fully observant and functioning in the, in the Torah world. You feel, you feel you can pull it off. You can feel you can really pull it off. Yeah, I, mean, I love it three times a day. I eat kosher. I keep Shabbat. I learn this tickle tail. I'm a good youth. <laughs> you feel you can do it. But when you actually start to penetrate the surface of what, what, what the richness, the, the depth of what Jiddushkeit is, you realize that that that, that's really the shell. That's not the thing. Like you've got an orange, and the orange is a peel. Now you've got to have a peel. If you don't have a peel, the orange will go rotten in a second. But the peel just contains the fruit. It's not the fruit itself. So people live in the peel of Judaism. And then they wonder why it's, it's vacuous. <laughs> there are people that don't even live in the peel. They live in the peel of the peel of the peel. That's called when they see Judaism as ritualistic. There are those people that see Judaism as ritualistic. And therefore it seems absurd, it seems out of context, it seems silly. It seems that when something is a ritual, you don't invest time and effort into it. Because it's not that significant if the mezuzah is this angle or that angle, has this letter or that letter. You mean, well, it's just a, it's a ritual. It's like putting a, a red strap around your arm. Lama law, when I say red strap, one of those red strings. One of those red strap, the red strap. It's a, it's, a, it's a ritual, it's a, it's a suspicion, it's an omen. It's, so you don't start like becoming very finicky about the details because at the end of the day, it's just a, that's called seeing the shell of Judaism. But there's such depth and in the depth, there's precision and there's detail and there's sophistication that if you want to produce a Jew, a Yisrael, it requires all the mental, emotional and physical capacities you have. You can't do it less. You have to take all your creative energies, all your intellectual genius, all 
your physical strength and you rested in the process otherwise it becomes this superficial habitual behavioral quirk of those who have Jewish descent it's not the real thing doesn't have the fire and the passion and the depth and the brilliance and the excitement and the vitality that it should <laughs> which of course provides a challenge for us because uh, we feel very very distant and dislocated from that description even so when I say to you that there's this, this incredible power invested in one word in the Shema it seems, it seems so, so, so ridiculously far away from my reality that I'm, I'm easy to dismiss it. But for me, it feels t- to be revelatory. It tells me what's going on in a real sense. So how would one go about resensitizing themselves to the small phrase that really should be very powerful and, and big and meaningful? So now, let's say, for example, a person would be in touch with this. <coughs> then you'd realize that just like any sophisticated form of meditation, is a build-up. It's actually right. You can't get to the, to, to the zenith in one step. It forms, there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a path of ascent. And if you actually start to examine with a wise microscope the way that the prayer will focus first on shachris, progresses from the moment of the opening of your eyes until you reach the point of Shema you realize that there's a massive massive ascent that has to be climbed in order to get there you can't get there you build up from a very basic point to the next stage and the next stage after that you have the next stage there's something called Moidani then there's the morning brochas and then there's the, the preamble to the Korbanos, then there's the Korbanos, then there's the preamble to Pesuk Zimra, then there's Pesuk Zimra, and then there's Birkus Kriya and then there's Shema. And then when you've realized what Shema is, then you can go to the next stage, which is the Brocha before the Shema and Esrei, and then when you hit the Shema and Esrei, so then, then, then you reach a completely and different transcendent stage. And then you can start to, the, the way the Shulchan Aruch describes Shemona Esrei is a meditative process whereby you shed your physical body. It's totally transcendent. But again, we, 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 we don't process things as a continuum, we pr- pr- process them episodically. And we've got so, many other, so much other stuff that we're dealing with that we don't even get to taste even one aspect of it. When we wake up in the morning, it's, it's different for different people. By the Chiba, struggle with the whole sense of self-definition. So when we wake up in the morning and we say, Moidani, a Baal may struggle with the fact is, oh my gosh, I've just opened my eyes and there's already a religious impositions. I can't believe it. God doesn't leave me alone even for one second. <laughs> and once I've, once I've actually managed to say those words, because I had to say those words, now he wants me to wash my hands as if I'm some type of OCD freak. And once I've done that, I have to put on this awkward garment called Tzitzit so I can schwitz in the sun. <laughs> and then I have to go and t- 
attach myself to these random leather straps. I mean, tell me what's going on here. And then I have to go through this long hum, drum, 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 drumming on a drum, hum, drum, drum, drum service, which has meaningless references to things I don't understand in a language which in Hebrew is unintelligible and in English is archaic and then oh what a nightmare so those are the issues we're dealing with so when I speak to you about these issues you start saying this eagle is crazy who's he speaking to and I'm trying to say that no that beyond beyond the pale there's a Judaism which lives which is nothing you've ever dreamed of uh yes Devon <coughs> How are you relating this back to friendship? Because everything you're describing here seems to be much more suitable for an eclectic hermit lifestyle. I like the words eclectic and hermit. And used in the same sentence, they're simply magnificent. It doesn't. The, ma- the Maral over here is quoting a Medrash, which happens to quote as a middle opinion of Eichel which happens to be a Klal in the Torah, so it mentions two other Klal which are unrelated. This is a, a total <coughs> tangent and aside. Total tangent. Total tangent in the side. Philip. I think that the Shema, it's important that it's such a short phrase because we have that build up, like you said, and that build up really helps. And then when we get to that Shema, we cover our eyes, we block out that diversity by covering our eyes, and by having such a short sentence, we are continuing to block out that diversity because if it was any longer, the diversity would come in and we are, we'd lose our concentration, we'd lose our focus, and, uh, and, uh, yeah. Short, in other words, you're saying there's an advantage to it being to that short. Uh, yeah, but but again, it doesn't solve the problem that we're having when I look at Goldwasser in the in the distance, and he's saying to me, "Yes, but you're not speaking to my world, Siegel. You're speaking to a world which is beyond me. I, it sounds all very nice. It's, it's like it's like it's nice sounding Torah, but I want something that's going to speak to me." And I asked because I, I just finished uh, Rabbi Kaplan's on guide, practical guide to meditation. It talks about things like this with the Shema, but I'm not fully able to like relate or to understand where the approach is coming from to saying you really have to meditate on the Shema. And so the, 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 do, you know, do you know what the problem is? Eh? This is really the problem, is that this process takes a long time. It really does, and like, there's no shortcuts. Now the problem is modern yeah. life doesn't give us the time that we need. No, really, if we wanted to devote ourselves to spiritual excellence, it's like, you know, if you want, if you want to become good at anything, and we know this, it requires a solid investment of time. And again, it doesn't have to necessarily be in the context of a yeshiva, but if a person wants to engage in an activity that, that, that's complex. So, you know, I have a friend that recently started three years ago, growing bonsai trees. He's got 30 beautiful specimens at his disposal now. But he's invested a lot of time into it. You can't just grow a bonsai tree, you know, with a random cut and a trim. You have to be, you have to know exactly when to cut, when to trim, how to do it, because you're essentially training training a tree how to become a miniature of itself. I don't know if you have experience with bonsais. Basically, stunting the growth of a normal tree, and growth of a normal tree, but that's not it's easier said than done, and it's quite therapeutic because you have to like, connect to the way the tree works, and you have to almost sense the life force within the tree. So, it, 
I mean, if, if you want to ditch them, I suggest bonsai should be the next thing you invest yourself in. But it's, oh, uh, no. Uh, yeah, no, it, it sounds magnificent, I'm serious. It does, uh, probably they look so gishmak, but it, they look so cool, they look so ridiculously cool. I don't know why, I don't know why Zen is the default. Why is Zen the default spirituality? Aside from, from Judaism, why is it that, that Buddhism is the immediate draw? Well, I suppose because in, in the modern world, spirituality is still in vogue, whereas religion has become very outdated. So when you want to speak to people about spirituality and you start bringing in the formal religions, so then there's all these blockages. If I speak to you about reality and I start discussing about spirituality and I start discussing Christianity, so I don't know about you, but for me it conjures up images of meaningless rituals and desperate attempts to revive a gasping corpse of a religion. Um, these, like, you know, these efforts, I, I could, not everywhere, but I think in the Western world, churches, it could be in America there's still a certain growth, maybe in the evangelical world, but in the standard presentation of Christianity, churches are closing down. You see the desperate messages that are written outside them. Services, all welcome, all welcome, ready, all, all well, welcome, welcome, welcome. Like you get the sense that they're not, they're not kind of turning away members. So, so churches aren't doing that well, uh, and so Christianity's out. Islam's got like all these connotations of like terrorism, and it's hard to connect to the Western mind. Whereas, whereas Buddhism is like it's it's penetrated Western culture, and it's become it has become the default in spirituality. So is, is there so, is there something wrong really wrong with theory. a person like like, like, yourself. like myself there's many things wrong with you I'm not denying that but this this particular one yeah I would I would discard Eastern spirituality altogether I'd be I'm much more drawn to Christianity and Islam Christianity and Islam if I'm saying if heaven forfend um, Judaism yeah. were out the window really hey sure uh, okay, well, let's take a quick poll. Anyone else feel that <laughs> you're going to going for the church? Very good brownies. Are you going for the food? Uh, I, I must be honest, Simcha. But now I can understand why you're from. Because basically, when you compare <laughs> Jewish food to Buddhist food, <laughs> so basically, Chalent comes out on top. No, but the thing is, I, I did have to give up Russian food. You had to give up Russian food, I yeah. Know. Okay, that's amazing, amazing. In the that was a hard <coughs> Must have been really difficult. I'm saying, I'm, uh, how'd you survive without potatoes? <laughs> Isn't it, is there another Russian food? I didn't know. <laughs> Sorry, potatoes and borscht. It's amazing what you've given up. Eh? Yeah, borscht <laughs> and potatoes. Wow. Now you have to eat other things like meat and sushi. That must be really hard for you to make the adjustment. <laughs> but it's, uh, anyone else has there's a default like, desire for spirituality, Christianity, or Islam? Definitely Christianity and Islam, I think. You go for Christianity and Islam. No, no over Islam. Christianity is ridiculous. So I think Islam is. Uh, uh, you take up got a chesed for Islam. Christianity, the 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 the
Okay, we get that. Oh, sorry. Not the not the evangelical ones that you brought, but like high church Anglican or, or, or Catholicism. You have you have a a, 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 a splendor and a, and a and a ritual and a messiah. Yeah. There's a lot of pub. And in Islam, it's it's the opposite. It's the when you when you look at the Hajj, you have two million people simultaneously submitting to to God and and an, and an absolute oneness. And even when they're doing it by themselves, it's like a, it's submitting to an absolute oneness. It's 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 a Sounds reminiscent of what we're discussing now. You know exactly. So, look, the truth is, I think, think in terms of just like mm. in the scope in the scope of our share, I think we should tack a focus on one religion. Um, <laughs> just I think yeah, that would be Zoroastrianism. So, so I think I'm going to pick Judaism, um, just because it's the, the text deals with it. But the uh, yes, yeah, Simchus. Yeah, yeah. I actually just read an article this uh, this Shabbos uh, in the in Light magazine, was it fifty years ago, and it said that Rabbi Yisrael Salander created the Musar movement in in um, uh, because of uh, the, the huge assimilation, secular assimilation that was happening in Russia. So, because people were the the Torah scholars were feeling dejected because they were learning Torah, they were kind of like the put down in society in a way. And that's why he created the Muslims to help them feel like much better and all this kind of stuff. And uh, I, I didn't understand that. See, is, is this got any relevance to anything we've been discussing? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I know you like you, you you like to use the gap to like fill it. Oh, it's a Muslim show. They show the Muslim Muslim. Okay. I mean, Simchush. But limit yourself to at least something that we discussed in the last ten minutes. Okay. So so. Who's this custom? We were talking about leaving Judaism and what could happen and why and why people leave and what, how does Booster help with that? I'm not saying that you can't rationalize where your tangent came from. I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Bekitsur. 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 Um, I, I, I forgot, for, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to mention bonsais. Kelly took us off, off the beaten track. I will not discuss bonsais or make references to anything which may be misconstrued as Zenish. Um, let's continue in the in the morale. Um So, so the middle one is which is which is the opinion that we discussed at length previously. Let's go on to the third opinion, um, which is Rishimim Pazi. Oh. Umash Omar ben Pazi is a kebis a echo tase baboike who cloud God will betray you. That which ben Pazi said that the offering, the daily offering of the Korban Tomid is a cloud God will betray you. It's the greatest description of what the Torah is about. Ratsaloyma, he means to say, Masha Adam oivet Hashem is barach betmidus. When Hashem, when a person, a man, serves Hashem with consistency. It's, it's always there. But Midus Agamur, Vu Avdoi, Kmoja Eved Loisar Vedos, I mean, Odo in Shiloi Raku Oivdoi Lek Timidi. That one of the ways of discussing, of describing a real relationship is a relationship that even through the changes in space and time remains consistent. Consistency is always an indication of what's 
major and what's minor, what's real, what's essential, and what's tangential. When you see a person that fluctuates in a given area from one, wo- from one extreme to another, so then you, s- you can't find, you, you, that's not descriptive of yourself. Person sometimes is happy, sometimes he's sad, sometimes he's excited, sometimes he's calm. So you can't, you can't, you can't label him. You can't say he's essential being. If you he's per- erratic. He's erratic. Why can't you be? Er- why is erratic not essential? Patience. Okay, we'll discuss. We'll discuss you shortly. So, so when a person, when a person displays a consistent mode of behavior, regardless of the many different changes in his environment, both external and internal, so then you can describe something essential about him. For example, were there to be a person that would have a calm state of being, whether he be sitting in a garden surrounded by trees much bigger than bonsais, (laughs) much, much, gigantic, huge, these trees are massive, and the garden would have no sense, like none of these like wind chimes, none of that stuff. Uh, Just a garden, garden, grass, garden, roses, English card. So, and he'd be completely calm and at, at peace with himself, and then he'd be in, in, in a busy traffic jam, and he'd be calm and at peace with himself, and then he'd be in a very highly strung board meeting, and he'd be calm and at peace with himself, and then he'd be at the end of his day, and he'd come home to his kids, and they'd be, they'd be demanding attention, he'd be calm and at peace with himself. So then you could say, he is a calm person, because despite the adjustment in time and space, there's a sense of what he is. Whereas if a person fluctuates from one thing to another, so then you can't, you can't say those, those, are, those are not essential. It's true of anything. Any behavior or characteristic that we display consistently, not based on time and, and, and space, is a description of something elemental to our being. A person that's into jogging. And winter, summer, rain and storm, he jogs, jogs, jogs. Showing that jogging is something fundamental to his being. In other words, what we do consistently is who we are. That's a description of our being. Consistent behavior describes us. So if a person is forever erratic, so then none of his erratic behaviors describe him. There must be something else which is consistent. You'll find the consistency. You just have to sometimes look a little deeper to describe it. So it's been Pazi will explore this idea further. That the essence of Torah is a consistency because that means the thing is real. It's elemental to your being. If it fluctuates, and you know you are from when when you're in a from environment and when the environment changes and all of a sudden your your yiddishkeit loses its form and structure and then you come back and then you regain your from kite and when you're in wichita kansas so then it disappears again when you come back to jerusalem it's strong and good when you go to tel aviv it goes out the window when you go to neighbor it comes back again when you go to Tiberia, it loses you move up to its fast it's back again so then it's not fundamental it's circumstantial Whereas when you're in, when regardless of where you are, you have that same sense of expression of Torah and Avodah, so then that's a description that this thing is real, and that's a color of the Torah that has to be real. It can't be happenstance. How do you, how do you get to that?